0: Hi friend, I'm so glad you're here. You've tuned in to the connected calm life. My name is Lane Kennedy. I'm your host. Today's episode is a co-hosted episode. I am thrilled that you have decided to tune in and listen to today's topic. I think in in, in today's episode we, we talk about family and getting sober and It's not always easy with eight kids. That's what you're going to learn about today. So hang in there with us, stay connected. And remember, you can go back to Wednesday or Monday's episode. If you're feeling that rage or overwhelm, I create practices every week for you. You can use them over and over and over again. So please, if you have something you want me to share on, let
1: me know. All right let's get into today's episode welcome hello and welcome to the connected calm life I'm Amy Liz Harrison happy and thrilled to be here today
0: Amy it's so good to have you with
1: me thank you it's so good to be here
0: yeah I've been really looking forward to this conversation as I do with all my co-hosts there's something really magical that happens when I'm connected with you in this format Mm -hmm. and I found you a couple of months ago on Insight Timer. Dun, dun, dun.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. I found you there. And then I was introduced to you by a mutual friend. And I thought, oh my God, that's Amy. And I was so excited to just, because I'm a teacher on Insight Timer as well. So I'm always so happy to connect with another teacher in that space. Glad to have you on the show. Glad to Thank be with you. you. Yeah. We're going to get into your story. Uh you live in long-term recovery. You know, it's hard to find people, women with long-term recovery today. So, let's set the stage for our listeners and hear a little bit about your recovery. We don't have to go in that deep, but I know you're a mom of Eight. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, which like just blows my mind. I can barely deal with one. And I can't imagine. Like, what's how old is the oldest? 20. Oh my God. See that right there. I'm oh like, how is that possible? <laughs> so let's let's share with our listeners a little bit about what's going on with you and, and how you've you know gained this life of recovery. Okay.
1: Awesome. Well, again, thank you for having me. I truly I'm truly honored to be on here, Lane. And um, I have to just say I had no idea that you found me on Insight timer originally because i'm I don't pay a lot of attention to sometimes what's going on in there. So that's amazing and awesome. And thank you for um, coming on my show the other day. I was blown away by everything that you shared. You have a fantastic business and approach to life and just a wonderful spirit. I felt it Mm -hmm. in that podcast. So thank you so much. And I grew up actually in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. You're my people. I know. What can I say? Um, I was born in LA and then we moved to the Bay Area when I was a baby. And um, my background is pretty... I guess, for all intents and purposes, what most would define as normal. And by that, I mean, I had a loving um, uh, parental unit and I was the oldest. I have a little brother, six years younger than me, and really had that traditional upbringing, if you will, Uh, went to a church. Our family was really involved there. So I had some beginnings of a spiritual life there, but it was definitely a religious spiritual life um, as opposed to now, which I would not define myself as a religious person per se, but more of a spiritual person. And I grew up sort of feeling like maybe I was missing some insulation, some extra padding to my emotions and my psyche. And really just kind of felt different. And that was just based upon the fact that I had these inner thoughts a lot of the time. I had negative thinking going on. I had a lot of uh, presuppositions. What is this person thinking, doing, all of this? And and it was kind of, it was a little bit alarming at times. And I just felt different. And uh, for me personally... Uh, I never had any kind of relationship with alcohol per se. My parents drank, but not a lot uh, that I could see anyway. Uh, My grandparents drank, but really my first experiences with alcohol in a, I'll just say like in an addictive sense, were later on. And so that was after I had gone to college, graduated from college, got married, and moved to Seattle in 2001 when I was pregnant with my first daughter and really was trying to fit in at that point, just trying to make friends. You know, I had spent so much time in California, and that's kind of all, of, all I knew. So moving here was a challenge, trying to really make those new ties and connections and really feel known. That was the big thing. People were very, very nice, um, but I couldn't sort of get below the surface. And a baby kind of helps take care of some of that. So I met some moms and some neighbors and little mom play groups. And eventually I started going to a book club. I'd have a glass of wine or two there. I wouldn't think about it till the next book club. And what happened is eventually... I really realized that provides a lot of relief. When I go to those book clubs and I have that glass of wine or two, it provides a lot of well-being feeling for me. And so in a social lubricant and um, so I started in the afternoons getting together with my neighbors in the front yard and watching our kids. You know, by this time I had three little kids. Then a fourth one came along. And so in quick succession, I had them in about five and a half, six years and really just felt that sense of camaraderie and like I belonged. And that was huge for me. And so mm, I would say it wasn't long until I realized nap time was kind of my break. That was sort of my chance to, Uh, become a person again because that's one thing about motherhood that was totally unexpected for me is that I lost my sense of who I was I lost my identity I felt like I did anyway emotionally and I used to teach 10th grade English when I lived in California and so now not teaching not credentialed in Washington not um actually not credentialed in California either, but that's a different story. But anyway, I just didn't have the opportunity to kind of get out of the house and have something that was just mine. And I think alcohol. one thing that you're
0: like, you're painting this picture. Like first, I just want to pause because you're giving us so much. And what I'm thinking about is how you didn't drink for so long. Like you had... Like a clean, dry life. Mm-hmm. Like, I started drinking when I was 12. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm like, how is that possible? Right. Everybody finds their way into drinking mm-hmm. just like they find their way into recovery. Every path is so unique. Yeah. And this idea of having four or three little, like, little, little beings on the front yard, you painted that so beautifully. And I'm just imagining you out there with your little glass of wine, just hey everybody with the garden hose, or just right having like a good time, yeah. and then it's not a good time, right? Exactly. And, and and so,
1: how long was it a good time? I would say it was a good time, not very long, maybe <laughs> a year and a half tops, <laughs> um, if I were to estimate. I, in the past, I've said that I drank alcoholically for five years. That's mm. probably accurate. Um, but I wasn't having a good time all of that five years. The good time stopped when I realized that every time I tried to control my drinking, mm-hmm. I was not enjoying myself. And every time that um, I was out of control, I was embarrassing myself. I was starting to have those moments those brownouts where I wouldn't remember kind of what I had said and, and, uh, people. What were um, were one of the brownouts? Um, one of the brownouts were this, this was great. So there was this lady who had kind of a boutique out of her house and I had this best friend and she and I drank the same amount, just crazy town. And we went to her house to try on clothes and, you know, buy some stuff. And I came home with a whole bunch of stuff that I don't remember purchasing. And also, uh, I guess at one point proceeded to plant myself on the couch. And, and I used to do this thing when I'd get really, really drunk and I would just go comatose, (laughs) completely just, I mean, quiet off on another planet. And so uh, that was one of those times, a lot of drunken shopping adventures actually, but that was one of those times.
0: Did you ever mix or were you just pure straight up alcohol?
1: Mix with drugs? Yeah. No, um, I was a dinosaur. In fact, I would refer to myself as kind of a nerd. I wouldn't know how Uh to procure drugs. Even if I wanted to get them, I literally would probably roll into a high school parking lot and be like, I don't know what to ask. Anybody have anything? I don't know what I'm supposed to say. So I didn't do anything <laughs> like that. Alcohol was accessible. So it, it's it just,
0: oh, that's so great. <laughs> that's so great. I, I, that's good and bad, right? Like, right. There's things that you haven't experienced, but then that's good because you don't want to experience those things. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 So that moment of uh, realizing that you bought all those clothes, like what happened?
1: So of course I felt a ton of guilt and shame and those were my companions at that time, constant guilt and shame constant character bashing of myself like oh I just really gotta just rope this in you know I've got some postpartum depression and and I did have some that that is true but I never would come clean and tell any of my doctors or practitioners I'm drinking a lot what I would do is just completely lie about it and pretend like that wasn't the problem because I fundamentally believed That since I started out as a, quote, normal drinker, unquote, that I could get back there. And so it was this endless pursuit of thinking, today is going to be different. Mm -hmm. And I stopped saying things like, I'm not going to drink today because I knew that I would. So in my mind, it was a, a failure or a success. And it was successful if I remembered everything that I did and said, and it was a failure if I didn't. And the next day, you know, poking through the trash and trying mm-hmm. to play detective and figure out what I drank and how much. And it just eventually got old. It got mm-hmm. really old, trying yeah. to function as a mom hungover.
0: And no, it's it's impossible. Like, I had postpartum, and I was like suicidal, And I was sober. So I'm sober, postpartum. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be drinking and to have multiple children. Uh, yeah. Disastrous. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, uh-uh. No, thank you. I, mm-hmm. I just don't even know. And that guilt and that shame, it's constantly whispering. Mm-hmm. And just the deterioration of the soul, like it's just like, uh, it's so dark and heavy, right? Yeah. and Beautifully worded. Deterioration of the soul. Yeah, it just, it tears us down. And your drinking buddies, I'm sure they all thought everything was great. Was there anyone in your life that was like tapping you on the shoulder saying, mm, Amy, maybe you have, like, maybe you should check this out. <laughs> Anybody?
1: Yes. Oh, there were, okay. There okay. were. And I ignored those people and I tried to stay away from them. The one I really couldn't find, uh, hide from was my husband, of course. mm And so, um, well, and I quickly want to add that the other part of that deterioration of the soul for me was my church affiliation Mm -hmm. and just really felt like, you know what, if I was a better Christian or if I were, you know, going to more Bible studies or if Mm I had a better prayer life, you know, maybe I'd be able to control this more. And so then there was that whole thing swirling in my head as well. And so finally, when my husband said, basically, I think you have a substance abuse problem and you need to go get some help. um, I was not interested in hearing that from him because... He went to work every day, right he got mm-hmm. accolades he was cr- like climbing the corporate ladder, mm-hmm. and I was at home cleaning up another mess, another bowl of spilled Cheerios, wiping another butt and it just felt so thankless, and I felt yep. so alone yep.
0: yeah there is therein lies uh the modern world there it is, yeah, uh, so many women doing the thankless work that is integral to a culture yeah. to our world. Right. I really believe that when we assess mothers and if we support them and g- nurture them during this process, the world would be a better place. Yeah. I 100% believe that if we took care of mothers in a new, with a new, in a new paradigm, the mm. world would be a different place. and, when I look at addiction, like addiction happens Mm -hmm. exactly like you just said, like how you painted it out. I'm falling apart at the, all the seams I'm taking care of babies, wiping butts, (laughs) thankless job. Like, yeah, a drink sounds really good. Mm -hmm. Like it is the thing that calms the nerves for a little while. Mm -hmm. So let's fast forward to how did you find recovery?
1: So I did go to a treatment center when my husband said you have a substance abuse problem. The Even way, after you didn't after he you didn't want to hear it from him. You, you right. did go. The way I got there was he said, you know, maybe you'll have a chance to work on your depression and there are counselors there. And, you know, either he got some really great taglines yeah. from some of the counselors there, I don't know, something but I thought, you know what? I could use a break. Yeah. I I think I'll go to this place. And so I was like a dream.
0: (laughs) That's like a dream, like a 30 day rehab, like, or whatever. I don't know what you did, but being away, like, I think, Oh, I just need to check myself in just 30 days away from everything. Right. (laughs) I did. And I shouldn't be laughing at this because it's, it's like, okay, sorry. I I don't mean to laugh.
1: It's very serious. (laughs) No, it's totally fine. And and yeah, I mean, and I got there and I'm not kidding you. I had a suitcase full of stuff that, I mean, it was crazy. It was insane. I had like swimsuits because I had done the whole <laughs> drunk packing job, right? I had um, sunglasses. I had a big old sun hat. I had oh all this stuff. I'm going to Orange County, blah, blah, blah. I mean, just a riot, you know? And And I was thinking this wasn't really rehab, so... You know, it was kind of a fix yourself vacation, like Stella got her groove back or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And you land in the rehab and then you're (laughs) like going through the book and looking at your yeah, your greatest uh assets.
1: Right. Right.
0: (laughs) What oh my goodness. Yeah. And did you have any of these babies after your recovery or did you have them all before?
1: No, I had I had the second set of four after. Okay. okay. So just the nutshell version of of how I found recovery then was my first time in rehab, didn't listen, didn't wasn't interested, no thank you, pass, mm-hmm. and then came back here to Washington, got a DUI with my kids in the car. And that's when that night lying in King County Jail, I decided. I think I need to make a change here. I had really come to the end of my rope Mm -hmm. and that was obvious. And so I went back to rehab and that's when I had just a tiny little spark of willingness to listen and admit that I was an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and that I had a problem and I needed help. And I wanted help at that point. I just really wasn't convinced that I was going to be able to stay sober. And so that was pretty scary. But, um, you know, one day at a time, and it started with really being willing to say to myself, you know, maybe this will be a better life. Maybe, maybe there's something out there for me. Maybe this will get better. And even the tiniest little piece of hope that that thought provided Mm -hmm. was enough to propel me to go to the next meeting and the next meeting. And I had legal consequences by that point. So I also had some work to do and I had fines and all of that. And so um, just, you know, being willing to let go of everything I thought I knew about God, religion, the universe, just let all that go Mm -hmm. and just create a blank space. That's another thing that was really important for me to do was to become a student and stop thinking. Stopping to think that maybe you know, maybe I don't know everything like I think I do about God or religion or the bigger picture or whatever. And so that was also a starting place for me as well. Was just having a fresh page. And
0: I, I'm just thinking about your background. You come from a religious family, mm-hmm. right? And and now <laughs> you're at ground zero. Mm. And having that willingness to say, I just don't know, Mm. and finding a new power or a new relationship. And so are you involved with a religion now, or are you just still on the spiritual, not still, but are you on a spiritual path, or how would you describe yourself?
1: I would describe myself as a spiritual person. My husband, this is fascinating, actually. My husband, um, you know, I felt a little badly for him for a while, because this wasn't really what he signed up for. Not just the alcoholism, but also the fact that we both were very zealous religious folks. Really? Now I wasn't. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I felt a little bit like I pulled a bait and switch on him and I felt kind of sad about that for him. But what's interesting was he stuck with me mm-hmm. and wrote it out with me. And so much so that we ended up having a surprise fifth baby and then, you know, a sixth baby because I didn't want the number five to be alone. And it's strange now because it's a really interesting thing for our kids to see is that I am on one path, my husband is on another path. And they intertwine quite a bit, but we just have different fundamental beliefs now. Beliefs okay. but Here's they, our, here's our I mean, conversation, I, Amy. Here's our yeah. conversation. Yeah. This is where I want to go.
0: I'm so glad you brought him up mm-hmm. uh, because marriages are really, I mean, this is where we grow spiritually, right? We grow right. emotionally. We grow physically. We grow, like expansion happens. Yeah. And a lot of marriages don't make it with addiction. Right. And God bless him for staying the course. He stayed a course. So that tells me that he has a huge amount of faith Mm -hmm. and that he is absolutely convicted in his God or his power. I freaking love that. And are you now both a different religion, like different church, different, different? Do you go to different places?
1: (laughs) We don't go to different okay. places. We were, we were lucky enough to find a church that was, you know, it's like that Rumi quote. And it's something about, and I'm paraphrasing because I do not have it in front of me. I don't want to mess up Rumi. Yeah. <laughs> but it's something about, you know, there's an expansive space yep. between this spot and this spot. And this field is where we connect and meet. Mm -hmm. And that has been true for my husband and myself. Mm -hmm. And our kids go to a religious school. That was very important for my husband. Mm -hmm. And so that's where they go. Mm -hmm. And I totally get it. I get that language. I can walk onto that campus and I know what everybody's talking about, but it's just not how I see the world anymore is quite that black and white. I'm definitely in the gray And it's caused for a lot of, it's given us a great opportunity to have conversations with our kids that we never would have had before. It would have just been like, here's what you believe, you know? And now it's just an open discussion. It's an open dialogue. It's like, I'm okay sitting in the questions and not having all the answers. Mm -hmm. And that's been really healthy for our family, surprisingly. I mean, I wouldn't have, you know, Wouldn't have ever thought that prior to all of this, but Mm -hmm. that's why I'm grateful for everything that happened because I wouldn't feel this peace, you know, I'd still be pretty stuck.
0: And with your husband Mm -hmm. and the conversations about, you know, beliefs, so his beliefs, your beliefs and, you know, raising your kids, I'm curious If when he said, I want to raise the kids and I want them to go to the school, were you like, okay, that's fine. Or did you have any pushback on that?
1: I really didn't push back on that. Um, I think I knew, Mm -hmm. I think I knew deep down that it was going to be all right. If that makes sense to send them to a religious school because we would have many opportunities to unpack some of these topics and come at them from a different perspective Mm -hmm. and to see different angles of some of this. And that was okay with me. It was okay. And because Mm I had had such a connection for so long to that uh, denomination, it, it didn't bother me. I felt like I had a pretty good head of processing on my shoulders at that point and felt like I could create space and hold space for both
0: yeah it's so i love people who you know find recovery through religion and mm. there's a, there's you know whole uh, groups and organizations around recovery around sobriety and and for me it's very spiritual it is not about going to a church per se. Uh, when I was first getting sober, I was a member of Agape, the spiritual center down in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Michael Beckwith was my, like, just, he still is a great teacher for me. And I, when I think about the spiritual or the sober path, having that connection, having this Ability to talk about it openly and be free with it, and be able to plug into a community if I need it, is essential. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from you is that you have you have that community, but you have your husband, you have your your kids are all in it. It's like it brings me so much um, joy in my heart Mm. that you've made it happen because that could have gone. that could have gone south real quick. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what does your husband think about your recovery?
1: Well, he's all for it. <laughs> I think, uh, I think anything is better than where we were with yeah. my drinking and, um, you know, just all of the stuff that I did in, in that, even just thinking wise. And
0: what do your kids and,
1: think? You know, uh, Okay. So you have a, tw- you have a 20 year old and then you have how, like, what's the youngest? Youngest is four. Holy Jesus. <laughs> you know, cause there's like this seven year break between my eight year old and my 15 year old. Okay. And so, um, yeah, it's a little unusual, <laughs> but Um, You know, what it's been for them has been really powerful. I mean, they would be fine with me saying that. And of course, I wrote about it in my book. I really unpacked the healing process in all of that. But I'm here to tell you, they're pretty amazing. These kids have been so resilient and, and they've seen what it looks like to, you know, of course, I wanted to put my life on pause And I wanted to go recover and come back to them perfect. And that was not how it went, obviously. I was raw. Mm -hmm. I was broken. You know, the first year of sobriety, I was just shaky, you know, and on this ground that just constantly felt like it was shifting. And they saw all that. So they saw what it was like to recover Mm -hmm. and then have the confidence and the ability to just be myself and grow and change in that and adapt and adjust and course correct and apologize and um, forgive myself and, and all of those things. And so it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. I think for them, they've got me Mm -hmm. and all my junk and then they've got my husband who um, is a pretty straight arrow (laughs) and has, has had a trajectory that has just, you know, been super linear
0: hmm
1: and so it's kind of an interesting dichotomy that's a great family to grow up in
0: I mean a it's a great family to grow up with so many kids like that's you know that Brady Bunch model right like that's yes. just like awesome uh I I want to kind of switch directions a little bit and talk about how recovery uh sets sets the stage right like we know that your kids are probably thriving because they have a place to go and talk. They have a, a safe place to go and talk about issues and things right and your husband is straight and arrow he's like ready to go. But for you, Amy, what have been some of the obstacles or challenges that you've kind of you've had to go through during you know the last Five years of your
1: recovery. What a great question! I think chiefly figuring out how I'm going to handle different situations that come up and handle those things sober. Like, you know, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting because I never thought that I would get to the point early in recovery, I thought, you know, I was so scared I was going to fail relapse and all, you know, and I never thought that I would get to the point where a drink didn't seem like the solution. And it just doesn't, I just really don't want that misery back. I just, yeah, no thanks. And so when I think back to about five years ago and beyond, I know that I can only be the best version of myself, if I'm sober, and that's just the truth of it, is that once I lose myself and lose my head, I'm not sure what I have left because I have enough trouble as it is, <laughs> right? Functioning and, um, but yeah, I mean all of those all of those things that come up in life, situations with kids, my health took a serious dive a few years ago, and I almost died from a what? heart infection. And, you know, navigating those types of major life challenges. Okay. It, so wait, okay. You can't
0: just drop that bomb right oh, there and, just, and then like go through it. So you almost died. I
1: did. Yeah. Of heart failure. Yeah. Yeah. How, how I, does that even happen? Um, I got something called cardiomyopathy as a oh, result yeah. of a of virus.
0: This. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of this.
1: Mm-hmm. And I had a really low heart function. Okay. And, um, they did not tell me this till way later, like even a year ago, they showed me a graph of my progress of healing. Mm -hmm. And I really shouldn't be alive today based Mm -hmm. on what they showed me. Mm -hmm. And I just feel really lucky. I just feel like so lucky to be here. That's that power. That is the sober power. Yeah. That,
0: (sighs) thank you for sharing that story course, Because I think there's so many things that we go through and we're like, I should not be alive. Like, there's no way. There's just no way. Yeah. It, so that's one of those, those, those times or that's something, you know, you look at your life and you're like, I, you know, this is impossible, but it is possible. Uh, you're sober. Uh, you live through almost dying through your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the other things? Like what's come up in the last year? that you're like totally psyched on? Like, this is what I'm in my groove now.
1: With the pandemic, um,
0: that because was- It's uh, been tough. This pandemic yeah. has been tough. So oh, yeah. 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 I can't even imagine with all your kids. Like, I, mm, mm-mm. I know.
1: Yeah. It was interesting. It was interesting. I mean, even things like trying to find a room that nobody was in <laughs> was- difficult you know i felt like a nomad i had a backpack and i was constantly moving around and um but i also you know had been intending to write this book for a long time and i finally got that opportunity because i had a lot of time at home and i wasn't driving people everywhere uh, so there's that and then you know i found for me that recovery just gives you a new set of glasses right mm-hmm. and you start to look at life differently and Um, get a hunger for new spiritual practices Mm -hmm. uh, for yoga. I mean, something that I never would have done before because in my religion, yoga was not a, no, that's not acceptable, right? Like it for yoga meditation, even instead of prayer, but meditation, which is Mm -hmm. so much better for me personally, because then I'm not Constantly telling my higher power what I want, mm-hmm. what to do, mm-hmm. but it's more of a posture of listening. So that was big for me. Um, and How do you just, meditate?
0: How do you meditate?
1: Uh, various ways. What's I love a good labyrinth. Okay. I, I'm a big labyrinth fan, and I've got a uh, kind of a weatherproof labyrinth that I can throw on the ground and do in my backyard but we also live across the street from um, some lovely nuns and they let me come on their property and use theirs and so I do that so sometimes it's a walking meditation and sometimes it's a guided meditation Mm -hmm. and other times it's just silence and or and or it's kind of a loud silence. It's maybe silent in what I'm trying to cultivate, but it's loud in the house. And I think that all counts because to me, that's sort of what it must've been like in India, you know, in the early day you got, it's not exactly a quiet country. Mm-hmm. And um, so just being open to kind of whatever format takes as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. We don't know what we're going to discover the longer that we are in sobriety. Right. Uh, What's been a really
1: great surprise? Uh, The friendships that I've made. People who would not be folks who I would naturally, organically maybe pick out of a crowd to associate with have been my greatest teachers. Yeah. Right. And learning to um, learning to just get into a room and be totally honest, totally bare bones honest, that was all new for me. Because in the religious world, we always had a little polish going on, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so not having to have that, what a freedom, what a gift to yeah. just be able to come in and be real. So that's it right there. Just having the ability to speak the truth Mm
0: -hmm. And not have anybody like shame you, not to have anybody scold you, Mm -hmm. uh, not have anybody tell you to sit down. Thank you. Okay, enough. Oh, (laughs) I've had people do that to me. I'm like, what? (laughs) You can't do that to me. Uh, You know, one of the things that I love about long-term recovery is, you know, we are in this constant, this, I call it, you know, the the evolution Mm. of the soul. And if you were to look back on your life and look at one moment, what would that moment be that would define who you are? Just one moment.
1: That is um, a mind-blowing question. I've never, ever thought about that. So I'm not going to overthink it. (laughs) yeah (laughs) don't it's just like right there have it come up which is what I would say is most pivotal I actually mentioned already which was that night in King County Jail
0: Uh
1: um, because I felt like that was the night of my true surrender Mm. to a new life whatever that looked like and and not knowing you know having that mystery having that sense of free-falling into the unknown, mm-hmm. and that whatever it, it looked like when or if I landed, that it was going to be okay. Maybe not what my desires would be, would be at the bottom of whatever was out there, but whatever it was, was going to be okay.
0: Yeah, that's really beautiful. It is going to be okay.
1: Mm. That,
0: that That's it. It is going to be okay as we continue to evolve and we don't pick up a drink. And now in, you know, as we progress in our recovery, it's not about drinking. Right. So right. what's one of your bad habits that you've picked up along the way here? Hmm.
1: Eating sugar, online shopping,
0: uh-huh.
1: like at nauseum binge-worthy TV. Oh, what um, are you watching? Okay. So I just finished Dope Sick, which yes. I mean, right?
0: I, I just, tears. Tears, Tears in my eyes. Yeah. Tears.
1: Yeah. Such a good series. So
0: good. Yeah. Good. What else?
1: We'll see. I don't know. That's been my. I've been focused on focused that. on that. Okay. Okay. Um, but what's next? You know, I'm a big fan of documentaries. Oh. Big fan of um, true crime. You know, I always like a good murder, and then I feel really morbid about that, and kind of like what's wrong with me, but. Oh, well. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What's on your bedside table right now? Uh, Book-wise or just a lot of stuff. (laughs) I have glasses. I have chapsticks. I have books. What are you reading? Um, I am reading something called Jesus and Buddha, the parallels. Oh, nice. And it's the teachings of those two entities. And that is pretty fascinating. That's good. That's Mm. juicy. Yeah.
0: (laughs) There's so much that we get to do. We have an opportunity to do in sobriety. So current date, uh, what are you celebrating? Your book Hmm. and anything else that you want to share
1: with our listeners today and how they can find you? Yeah. So I can be found at amylizharrison.com. And Amy Liz Harrison is my on all the platforms, that's where you can find me, Instagram and all of that. And you know, I think the last thing that I would say is that everything that I was looking for in the bottle, feeling Mm -hmm. close to other people, connected, feeling a part of, feeling like I had value, I ended up finding all of that in recovery. I wish I had known that sooner. Maybe I would have gotten here sooner, but it wasn't meant to be. I got here when I got here.
0: Yeah. Perfect timing, right on time. Exactly. That's everything. It's right on time, Amy. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for joining us today and being my co-host and sharing your beautiful story and being a mother mm. who is celebrating life. Yeah. You're not drowning life today. That's right. Just incredible. Oh. So, mama, may you find something bright, something juicy and delightful. That fills you up so you can be the best mother I know you can be. And if you are not a mother and you are listening today, go out and take on the world. Just like Amy, just like me. We're just out there doing it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Sober. Mm -hmm. All right, friends, take good care. Until next time. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Please do me a favor and share this episode with someone who might need to hear Amy's story and what we discussed today. If you can share it on your social, that always means the world to me. I just love being able to produce this show. Uh, I'm here for you. Check out all the episodes over at lanekennedy.com forward slash podcast. Okay. Take good care.